Hello, I'm Johnny Greenwood and I play the guitar and the piano and the penny whistle and the bassoon for the Radioheads. I'd like to tell you about the new drop shop from the people who brought you the Dropwine Delivery app. It's at 175 Drury Lane and is a beautifully composed emporium of fine wine and not so fine wine. Each day they offer their daily special by the glass at a knockdown price, sometimes as low as £2. Imagine! Download the app today from dropwine.co.uk and receive £10 off your first order when you enter Kitchen on Fire in the promo code. Toodles! Please bring responsive with your associate employee contemporaries, poreries, poreries, When he dies, it's like, oh, the chicken guy. Rose chicken. The chicken and guys. other stories. He had other stories yeah, to tell. Yeah, but nobody cares about them. They care about the chicken. You right, Sam? Yeah. So it's right? a little bit. Just, there's a little bit of a free song of sort of. Can't decide what it is, but there's an energy coming from you. I'm not sure. What a negative, like. a negative energy. I can't tell yet. It's very positive. Is it? Yeah, a lot of positivity going on. Is that because I didn't like your joke you made? Yeah, it's just a couple of little things. It was a bit of a counting gag, wasn't it? Which I'm not wild about. It was more a gag about I hate to break it to you, but it's your 38th year. You've just seen seen off. Yeah. yeah, but nobody looks at it that way, do they? Hmm. Or do you? No, I didn't. No, no. no. That you, line of itself was fine, and then I had to explain it, and then you got a bit arsy. No, 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 there's no, no. arsiness. Positivity. New so fan. We've got a new editor. At me. New editor. Yeah, well, what do you want to see on, a, on, a, on your mileage on your car? Do you want to see it at 200,000 or 200,000 and one, which is more exciting? Exactly. See, he's doubling down on it. Maths. Um, so you like counting when it's Ian? Is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's a real numbers man. Stickler for the numbers. So Ian, Ian had some notes for last week's episode, namely... Let's open with them. Fair trade isn't all it's cracked up to be for reasons that are probably worth looking at at some point. But, you know, we want to hit the ground running on this podcast. So let's just say it's good for everyone. And Ian doesn't know what he's talking about. And the other one was the Cochrane podcast in which we discussed Michelin and how it was a bit jarring that we would say, you know, we have no idea what goes through their heads. It's, it's very nebulous. And then like, oh, but that place will get, definitely get a star. And that seemed at odds. I don't think that's necessarily true. But maybe we could have explored why that was. Why is it that some places it's absolutely nailed on and some places you're just like, WTF? I wonder if actually... Is that fair, Pracy? Yeah. See, there must be such a list of, you know, out of how many, what do we get, 10,000 listeners an episode? So out of those 10,000, how many people are sat there listening to her if they're going, God, why aren't they, why aren't they covering that? Yeah. But I sometimes listen back to this and I'm like, oh, that's so not, why didn't we go down that road? That could have been interesting. And then we're like, let's talk about Terminator. Or well, that's they're the bits I like. I'm like, why did we move away from talking about the Terminator, which I watched recently? Did I, I think Fly is actually trying to be as noisy as he possibly can. Uh, we pushed off. We pushed pushed off from the shore with the other guys still in their office. So it seems fair enough. Yeah, no, I know. I thought, yeah, it, uh, it is fair. Enough. <laughs> 
Just because we love your company so much, so we wanted you to be we here. You, we could give them an extra shout out. They're probably off to one of their many fine establishments, uh, generally focused in a real area of strength. It's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> he is doing that on purpose. Uh, Firstly, a shout out to them as our sponsors, the Drop Wine app, not to be confused with the Drop, uh, which is a new wine. Shall I turn off this mic? Because this is ridiculous. It is off. All right. Not to be confused with the Drop Wine Shop, that uh, wine wine bar that just opened in Coles Drop Girls, which is not related. Ah, okay, all right. Okay. So, Fly. <laughs> With whom we share an office has a bit of a, fix- a bit of a fixation with this week's guest, namely Polpo founder and food writer Russell Norman. And I'm pretty sure the things he's just laid out on the desk next to Russell's mic, namely Badois, wheat crunchies, and double decker, all relate in some way to Russell. Is that correct? Indeed. All right. So Russell's going to come in with a big old smile on his face, unless he's That's on a really- diet. That's very generous of you. Thanks, Will. Thank you, Moves. Uh, so Happy how? Birthday, <laughs> Thank you. We'll see you guys later. See you at Tacos El Pastor. Um, how are you, Sam? Uh, yeah, I'm all right. I'm, I'm, this is delightful because I'm getting two birthdays. Because I have my office birthday. Because the boys refuse to believe it's not my actual birthday today. So I came in this morning. Um, and BB, Ian, that we were just discussing, um, provided me with two Italian sausages, a huge swathe of uh, wild boar truffle mortadella from Camisa and Sons, I mm. believe, uh, and some focaccia, which we tucked into for our lunch. Where do you land on Camisa? What do you mean? Well, Camisa versus Lina, for example. Um, Lina, I've, I've only ever sort of, I've bought more in Camisa. Lena, I don't really know that well, and I wasn't wild about the restaurant. Um, so that's where I land on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, and then I, we just came back to the office, and Moves had incredibly kindly bought me, stroke the office, a uh, putting machine. Which, it's a machine? Yeah, yeah. It'll fire it the ball, the ball uh, back at you. I assume so, yeah. <sighs> Uh, maybe it doesn't, I don't know. But anyway, it would be uh, a fun thing, especially because the floor's in our... We're sort of in a Victorian gadget of an office, aren't we? Yeah. Is it Victorian? Well, it's quite old, isn't it? Georgian? The, yeah, maybe? Oh, maybe Georgian. But the floors are very uneven, so there'd be mm. some nice uh, putting games that we can play with one another, James. Uh, how are you, James Ramsden? Sensationally well. Are you? No, uh, quite well. Shaved your face? I think this is the first time I've been clean shaved since I, I got a proper shave in Sri Lanka in January. And what what brought it on? Was there any reason? It was a, very much a spur of the moment. I've got an itchy face, bored of this beard. It's been too long. I quite like see what I look like underneath. Yeah. And it was probably born of, I suspect, misplaced confidence in the fact. You know, it gets to the point where you're like, I've been wearing a beard for so long maybe my face has got really gross and fat underneath this. Right. So you don't ever want to shave it because you'd think, what am I going to look like? Okay. And then I think I'd just been for a quite a long run and I just thought, I'm probably not... I'm looking all right under here, so I went for it. But my daughter didn't even recognise me because she was three months old last time I was clean-shaven. So uh, that was a frightening moment Are you ple- Are you pleased with how you look, though? Um, 
Yeah, I'm not displeased. I mean, this is my face. Yeah. You know, I'm as pleased as I will ever be with my face before I get no are you, surgery. Are you, and, uh, sort of take out, take out, you know, like, oh, I wish I'd l- lost a bit of weight or whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, as everyone would probably say, oh, I could do with What you are you saying? Do. No, I'm asking you a question saying, how do you look at yourself? Do you think like, oh, yeah, I look all right? Or are you like, oh, I'm proper gross? Like um, most of the time, your general, what's your sort of... Oh, t- totally depends. Oh, really? On frame of mind, general... Really? I thought yeah. you would be like always like, yeah, I'm all right looking. Uh, different. different. Really? I, I, all right looking versus looking all right, I'd say. It's a subtle but important difference there. Okay, right, right, right. I could be like, I'm an all right looking human being, but I look disgusting most of the time. Okay, right, okay. What, like you scrub, when what look- do you mean, like you scrub up all right? No, but even if you think... I think you can say, I'm an all right looking person. I'm a phenomenally good looking person. Right. But I always look awful. I, I don't think those two are necessarily at odds with one another. I don't know, that feels more like scrubbing up is the difference. Yeah, but I'm generally unscrubbed. Okay. You know, I was all, especially after shaving for the first time in nine months, really blotchy and gross. Right. But, you know, what are you going to do, Sam? You know, You've got bigger fish to fry. What did I do? You? Did I moisturise my skin? Yes. Did I put on some lovely hand cream that my sister-in-law gave me for my birthday? Absolutely. Did I apply some product to my hair? Yes. Did I walk out smelling like hand a meadow? Hand cream? Yeah, lovely. You put it on your black face. pomegranate. No, that was on my hands. Oh. Uh, you know, grooming chat. Where do you stand on grooming? Are you a male groomer? I'm very groomed, as you can tell. From my bridegroom. Um, no, I think that's bride. interesting, like, because people are always down on themselves, aren't they? And you were saying, oh, you know, you're like, when people down themselves, you're like, you look all right. You know, you look all right. You look all right too, Sam. No, but then you don't. I mean, you, you, I took such a beautiful photograph of you last week that you posted it on the Instagram, I did, which is very yeah. unlike you. I did, yeah. But, you know, you look great. People were practically wetting themselves over that. Yeah, I did like that picture. And I didn't credit you, which I should have done. Have you hitherto? Uh, corrected Since, it. Yeah, not hitherto. No. Um, but no, I was pleased with it because generally, yeah, I think I look absolutely horrific. So I was very pleased with that. I mean, amazing that portrait mode on the new iPhone. Tech no, chat. it wasn't on the new iPhone, it was on was my it phone. Not? Oh, is that not on that? No. But you have a portrait mode. Correct. Yeah. Makes all the difference. Depth of field, my friend. Is that what it is? Yeah, it really helps. Interesting. Um, you've, James, you've where, deep in where was lately? that photo taken? That was taken outside Ramiro. Probably not pronouncing it right, but he did say it sort of Ramiro. Yeah. Uh, in Lisbon. Yeah. Um, dare I say, iconic Lisbon eatery. Uh, fish restaurant, very spit and sawdust. That was quite Gordon Ramsay. Fish restaurant. Very spit sawdust. Huh? Wow. You turn up. Uh, they've got a vending machine outside for Sagres, so you just pop two euros in it and you get a pint of Sagres while you wait for your table, as you inevitably will. Even at, I think we got there at half five, six. Yeah. We didn't wait long, though, did we? didn't wait long. And you order mountains of seafood and drink some cheap Vigna Verde. I think it was 13 I thought that I thought that wine was delicious. It was probably the wine I enjoyed most Is on that, that right? whole trip. I really did. Is I it? thought it was great. <laughs> Is it? Um, yeah, no, I thought it was lovely. Uh, and I enjoyed the restaurant. You know, the football in the background, eat a bunch of clams. I, I don't think there was a single eatery or drinkery in the entirety of Portugal that didn't have screens. I think yeah. that's just an automatic thing. Um... The clams were the highlight for me that, of that meal. I like the clams. Yeah, the, the, what else do we have? The lobster was a bit disappointing. The lobster, I thought it was absolutely delicious lobster, but it was fucking expensive. I thought those prawns were delicious we had at the beginning. I really like them. They yeah, were I mean, fucking once good prawns. Prawn, nah, no, but I thought that was a good prawn. That, that tasted like the idea that you have in your head of what a prawn should taste yeah. like. 
which I, I think I think rarely do. That. A lot of times they're just a bit flabby and a bit flowery. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I ate a lot of crevettes, which is okay. you know that style of prawn which we had over the summer, and uh, Moxton's in Islington. Yeah. A very fine crevette. Do they? Real middle class chat here. Yeah. Um, and what else do we have there? We didn't get that spider crab, which is probably a good move at that point. We had some pragos, the the steak rolls to finish, yeah. which were fine. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Ian. I mean, you're going to next week. We're going to get our asses handed us for that, but it's like, oh, it's a steak sandwich. Is yeah. it? I, I like the quirkiness above yeah, all. Yeah, but I also like. I actually think as a combo, it's like something you eat like some beef and with some mustard, and mm. it's it's a nice finish. I'd say to to a meal. Yeah, definitely. And then we pushed on to a bar. It's a very strange bar. That I think it used to be a brothel. Yeah, there was a sex shop in the bar. Sex shop within, stripper pole within. Or, yeah, is it called a stripper pole? There was a, um, pole pole? Uh, there was a couple in the sex shop. I took a trip to the sex shop, check it out, get yes. the lay of the land. Mm. Um, and there was a couple in there discussing how best to store their poppers that they bought. Um, Were they uh, illegal in Lisbon? No, 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 no. For, um, so they'd last the longest time. Store them. Yeah, yeah. So what, the, the, you put them up your butt or in your mouth. No, or? no, no. The, the um, lady behind the counter was saying you could, um, keep, you should keep them in the fridge for oh, maximum I see, longevity I see, I see, I see. of your poppers. Um, right. Sorry. <laughs> storage. Yeah. Popper storage. Get a Coravan. So uh, there we go. That's a, that's a niche in the market. Coravan for poppers. Yeah. What did you think of Lisbon, James? Have you been there before? Very hilly. No, never been there. Way too hilly. Yeah, I was too walking along thinking, Silly how hilly. could you live here? It's too hilly. Yeah. It's like Bristol, but worse food. Is Bristol is that hilly? Ah, oh, very hilly. I've only ever been down by the water. It's quite flat down there. Mm. No, there's hills. Is there? Uh, I thought Lisbon was lovely. I'm a big fan of the tile. They love a tile They there. do love a tile. Yeah, yeah. Bonnie Tyler. Um, I was I did spend most of my time walking around thinking wow I wonder what it's like for Panda Bear from Animal Collective to live here because he lives there which is quite a niche did you reach any reference. conclusions about that I just wonder I want, really wanted to call him up maybe we could get Noah Lennox Panda Bear aka Panda Bear on the podcast and ask him about it we could also ask him about that boring song that he wrote that he put on one of the pigeon playlists five times by accident <laughs> yeah I didn't mean to Tropic of Cancer mm. yeah that wasn't a great song it's kind of alright the first time you hear it but you don't want to hear it in a restaurant it's very down Mm. Very dour. Do you say dour or dour? I, say I think dour. I say dour. Yeah, I say dour. Like Ian I think Dowie. it might be dour. Um, yeah. Do you say homogeneous or homogenous? I say aluminum. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, Lisbon was good, wasn't it? We had a nice time. Um, met a guy with whom we may be making love. Yeah, exciting, the t- exciting times. I tell you what, if that happens, then they they're going to buy me a Segway. Okay. You would die on a Segway, wouldn't you? Can you go down the hill on a Segway? I, oh, I thought you meant me. No, no, I meant one, the Royal Wood. No, I'm sure seg- yeah, Segways, I'm sure they have brakes in them for hills. You say they have, they have brakes, but that geezer who invented it went off a cliff on one and died. So. No, he didn't. You know that. I did not know that. That's absolutely true. The inventor of the Segway died because he drove it off a cliff. What was he trying to do? He was just bombing around his house and he drove off a cliff. Why did he have a cliff at his house? Because he's a rich motherfucker who probably lived in Malibu on a clifftop because he made a lot of money from segways and he drove it off a cliff or rode it off a cliff. I don't know Crikey. what the correct terminology is for what you do on a segway. Although what you do on a segway in the comfort of your own home is up to you. It's between you and those two wheels and the gyroscope on board. <laughs> is it called a gyroscope? I don't assume it must have some sort of balancing item involved in it. 
So what have you been up to other than uh, Portugal? Did you... You've done any cooking or are you still not really into cooking? I'm still not wild about cooking, I've got to say, but I, I fried some potatoes with some leftover hamon iberico, uh, from, which I still have a huge slab in the fridge from our oh. anniversary thing where BB, Ian, got some. Um, which fried hamon iberico, I've got to say, to me, I just prefer it, to be honest. Big sort of chunks of it and you fry it, it gets a bit crispy. It's good. I'm, I'm just saying I'm a bit bored of just like, oh, yeah. some hamon. All right doesn't really excite me whereas a lump few lumps of fried i mean i'm not selling it i'm not making it sound nice here's a few lumps of fried hammer on a barico, but it was good um taking my son to his first ever saints game at the weekend oh, that's which exciting. I'm looking forward to. who are yeah. you playing uh newcastle newcastle they're struggling they are but, but so, so are we you. yeah if we it's win a race it's a bottom. big game it's a big game so i'm hoping that my son is a uh lucky charm what what, what are you gonna do about the swearing Oh, he'd be all right. Will he? Yeah. Like, what if he cries? It's slightly concerning, but he won't like the noise. Like, it's proper noise. If mm. we score, it's loud, mm. and I think he might freak out a little bit. Yeah, I remember, uh, was it the Sweden game that we watched? And then, oh, and, yeah. And uh, Nora, my one-year-old daughter, really did not like it. Yeah, then. I mean, she's a baby, so yeah. that's, you can definitely see that. But I think he might, I'm going to, I mean, I'm definitely warn him, like, if they score. It's yeah, but she's really a baby, loud. but there are only eight people in the room. He's he's a yeah, grown-up child, but yeah. there are that's true. At least a thousand people watching a Saints game now. But I'm looking forward to it. But the thing is, I, I sort of have in the back of my head, if I don't get to like take him by the pitch and meet some players, I'll probably lose my rag. I'll be a bit gutted for him. You don't get to meet some players? Yeah, I'll be like, come over and see, see my son. But where are you sitting? Nowhere near the pitch. <laughs> but I'm going to ask them if I can courtside. go down before the game. Uh, can we go courtside? Yeah, to go and say hello to... Oh, is that a thing? Yeah, yeah. I think, well, I don't know. I think so. There's always kids down there saying hello. There definitely used to be back in the day. Yeah, and like cricket, so. you'd, you, I suppose used to, cricket used to have like people climbing over the barriers and just watching on the boundary. Really? Yeah, yeah. You don't want to catch one of them balls in your shins, though, do you? Well, you've got a lot of time to see it coming, if, as long as you're paying attention. You've got a lot of time in cricket, so slow. <laughs> um, all right. Um, what about you, James? This is too much about me. Did, uh, did a couple of, couple of shifts at the mothership over the weekend. You did. Friday and Saturday nights at Pigeon. Thoroughly enjoyed both shifts um, as I'm sure I said before very important very useful to check back in remind yourself that actually this is a really great restaurant we've built I use you to check in yeah, on my I am, behalf I am the eyes and ears of you <laughs> you are um, but we- also because we're about to embark on this well as of today this new setup at, at Pigeon where we don't release the menu in advance and we don't even give guests a menu when they arrive so um and we've expanded the wine list and things. So there's been quite a lot of admin to do, a lot of wine buying, a little bit too much wine buying based on what's going on today at the restaurant, trying to find space for endless boxes of Riesling, of Beaujolais, of Barossa Valley Grenache, of... All right, I mean, don't I could keep go saying on. wine names. Get, get into that. Check orange wines, yeah? Check them out. Make that joke if you like. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it. Enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. Hanging out with the team. Got a great team at the moment. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. Nice to have Jamie back helping out. Yeah, <laughs> in a bit of a bind. Jamie's back from Perilla to help us out. Well, then I so I then went to Pigeon for lunch on Sunday with uh, Fly, aka Moves, aka Will, aka the man behind one of the men behind Drop and Ten Cases and stuff. And he's obviously been going to Pigeon for years. And the double take he performed when he saw that Jamie was on the floor was spectacular. 
Yeah. He said he that was a high point. He couldn't match. quite process it. Um, but yeah. Safe pair of hands is Jamie. And the funny thing is, so when Jamie joined Pigeon three years ago from Lardo, just up the road, we'd, for the first couple of months, you'd get customers going, looking at him a bit weird, and going, do, do I know you from somewhere? Ah, oh, yeah, well, uh, I used to work at uh, Lardo. Oh, yeah, Lardo, that's it, yeah, Lardo. And then, uh, and then he said when he started at Perilla, for the first month or so, he would uh, have customers come and go, do I know you from somewhere? Yeah, I, uh, I used to be the manager of Pigeon. Oh, yeah, Pigeon, that's it. You were at Pigeon, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the first night he came to help out when we were short-staffed at Pigeon, as <laughs> a table who really double-took because they'd been at Perilla the night before and were just like, weren't you at Perilla last night? He's the king. So I really hope he's not going to get fired from Perilla because they don't know he's moonlighting for us. But anyway, props to Jamie for helping us out. You might have to bleep out all the perillas. You'll enjoy that. I think you'll be fine. Yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah, um, so that was nice. And then... James, uh, you know, enough about us. London Food News. Yeah. Yeah, big things going on. You know, the Observer Food Monthly Awards, which we won last year. Uh, you were invited to this year. I wasn't. It was out of order. Um, I mean, we didn't win anything. Adam so. didn't get Adam Coughlin, you know, he didn't Did he get, not invited. get invited. Nah, most really? people don't. You've got to really be in the know. Yeah, real big shot. I bet I don't get invited next year because I said no this year. Oh, really? Wouldn't be surprised. It's very Did you actually say no then? I thought you were going to give me your invite. No, because I thought you're not going to go on your own, are you? Hmm. I mean, no, you, I you didn't know. <laughs> well, didn't. the fact that you didn't <laughs> say to me, can I have your invite? Yeah, I didn't. Um, all right, we covered that. Uh, what else? No, big winners. Were there big winners? Hang Fire, Barbecue, Best yeah. Restaurant. Where's that? In uh, Wales? Is that in Wales? I think Barry? so, yeah. Yeah, Barry. Yeah. Jack Monroe, um, Food Personality, Best Cookbook, Anna Jones. I, I'd like to get both of them on the pod, actually. And I've spoken to both of them about coming on the pod. Oh, that'd They're be cool. both keen. That'd be really cool. Um, Ryan Riley also wants to come on the pod. He won Best Ethical Food Project. Oh, really? We're lining them up. My wife's a big fan of his. Um, Hoppy, actually, we get Hoppy on. Who's Hoppy? Simon Hopkinson. Oh, that chicken guy. Yeah, yeah. If you want to reduce him to one thing. To be fair, everyone loves his chicken, so it's not a bad thing to be reduced to, is it? Nobody's like, oh yeah, his posset. They're like, oh yeah, the chicken. He dip. does a banging posset. I'm sure he does. He's been to pigeon. He's not renowned for his posset as much mm. as he's renowned for his chicken, is he? Well, yeah. He came to pigeon a Saturday lunchtime when I was working. I didn't, well, sorry, was that? Out? I don't think I was out of order. No, no. It's like Thomas, just the chicken guy. Thomas, Thomas Parry did the food at the Observer Food Monthly Awards. I don't think, uh, did he? Yeah, he did. Huh. And if everyone was like, "Oh, it's the turbot guy," he's the turbot guy. Yeah, but it's still like he's not going to be like, "Hang I, on, hang on, on, I do a killer tomato salad." Come on, you don't. You, you cannot pretend that there's no reductive, like slightly niggle elbow in the ribs to like, "Oh, the turbot guy." But Sam Hurley, but, oh, the shit post rock guy. You know. For sure, but that that's my niche. If you said James, the lunchbox guy, I'd be like, yes, are you talking about the book or my underpants? <laughs> um, no, but I think that's what people do. I don't necessarily think it has yeah, to be you, something sorry. bad. Don't, don't be disingenuous. Don't pretend you didn't mean it as a slight, as a slight slight. Well, the, I'm just like, I don't know much guy. about him, apart from he's the chicken guy. He's got oh, the like book one of the, the chicken. One of the leading lights of 90s London restaurants, great cookbook author... And what's what, what is guy. the first people that's thing that people can say? Say the roast chicken when guy. He, when he dies, it's like oh, the chicken guy. Roast chicken. The chicken and guys. other stories. He T- had other stories. Yeah, to tell. but nobody cares about them. They care about the chicken. 
I'm not even dissing him. I'm not dissing him. Yeah, yeah, I'm but, not dissing okay, Thomas Parry still, either. Do not pretend that there's not a little bit of a barb on, on There's that. no barb. He's the chicken guy. Right. Like, what would you... Like, Ottolenghi is like, oh, he's the aubergine guy. Or the pomegranate molasses guy. What, what do you think you are, then? Me? Oh, I'm probably the... Oh, he's that guy with the red face. Who died. <laughs> That's what it would be. And that would be... You know, to be fair, if you've got to hang me on something, hang me on a red face. But that's not even a thing. It is. Look he's the red, red face guy. Oh, he's the red face guy. He's a pioneer red face. Is he, wearing, is he wearing makeup? No, it's just that red all the time. It's quite good in this light. And you would be like, oh, yeah, he's the do-ahead guy. Because you're the do-ahead guy. You did you did a, head, a dinner and a Christmas. So you're the do-ahead guy. Or yeah. you're the pigeon guy. That's the thing. You diversified. The chicken guy, no, he just did the chicken. And told some other stories. I right. don't know any of his other stories. Uh, next up, we've got the polpo guy. Uh, Russell Norman, who founded Polpo Restaurant. Yeah. And its spin-offs, Spuntino, Polpetto, the now-closed Ape and Bird, and... Mishkins. Mishkins, which was quite... Uh, was That's fun. gutted, I, I never went, went there to there Mishkins. Once. I like that place. I'm gutted, I never went. You never went? Yeah. It closed not long after I was sort of in London a lot. I haven't been to Polpo for a while, but we go to Spuntino a fair bit still. Yeah, I like Spuntino a lot. And he's written, I think, three cookbooks, Venice, most recently, uh, and Polpo and Spuntino. And we're really going to get deep into why we, why is it why am I incapable of saying this bit without sounding sarcastic? <laughs> we're really going to just get into what it's like to open a restaurant and then several more the trials and tribulations of trying to establish a restaurant group without it feeling like a chain, uh, the difficulty to expanding outside of London, and whether or not Badois really is the best drink in the world. Join us after the break to hear what Russell Norman has to say about all the things I just talked about and probably some other things too. Goodbye. Um, thanks for joining us. Yeah, very You're welcome. welcome. Get, it's a pleasure to, to be pin here. you down for a while. Yes, sorry. What's your, what's your life look like at the moment? It's good. Yeah, you're in Venice a lot. I was, although I said, you're, I'm there this Saturday. But um, I, I was there for 14 months, um, uh, on and off, mostly on, uh, writing a book. And the book required me to be in the city, uh, in a small apartment, um, shopping with the locals, cooking like the locals. When you say it required you to be in the city, did you require yourself to be in the city? <laughs> the book proposal it? was that uh, I wanted to get under the skin of the city by um, by experiencing it as a Venetian, as a resident, because over about 32 years I've been going to Venice mm. as a tourist mostly, um, partly tourist, partly as a uh, you know a, a budding restaurateur mm. back in the early 90s. Collecting ideas and putting together the you know the the um, initial thoughts and structure and so on for Paulpo. Well, that so that all began in the early nineties. Yeah, yeah, really. I guess. And what yeah. was the longest time period you were there b- before this time? Obviously, been there for that. I was the, the very first time I was there in nineteen eighty six. Um, I spent just about th- just under three weeks, about nineteen days, and it was. Uh, August. It was baking hot. The city was absolutely rammed full of tourists. It was not a pleasant experience in it's the historic <laughs> in the historical centre. So I spent um, I spent virtually three weeks um, heading out to Lido every day, which is a long strip of an island between the lagoon and the Adriatic. Um, 
and swam in the sea, swam in the Adriatic. My first experience of Venice, oddly, was as a beach holiday. Right. Um, but that was the longest time I'd spent there in one single period until, right. um, until 2016 to the end of 2017. And that was the 14-month period in which I wrote Venice, Four Seasons of Home Cooking. And, and all you need to know about the book is in the title, every yeah. single word, carefully chosen. Yeah, so home, home, and what, is, what's, you know, what are the five main ingredients that define Venetian home cooking? Um, there's a lot you of pasta. No, no, but there's, there's, I mean, there's a lot of pasta, but um, it's an island that's you know, surrounded by brackish water, not quite uh, as salty as the Adriatic, but still, you know, a lovely salty lagoon full of amazing fish and crustacea and seafood, bivalves. So there's a lot of fish and seafood, as you can imagine. Um, but there are some, you know, some surprising um, elements to Venetian cooking as well. It was Venice was. Um, for a large part of its history, the, uh, the, the centre of the spice route between East and West. Right. Um, so as well as dealing in gold, um, they also dealt in spices. And saffron, for example, was far more expensive than gold. Yeah. Um, you know, ounce for ounce, gram for gram. Yeah. Um, and, and so Venetians would, the Venetians would show off in, in lots of ways. They would build beautiful palaces uh, on the Grand Canal, which they would... Um, cover, literally cover in gold, gilded palaces, uh, which still shine to this mm. day when they're cleaned up and polished up. Uh, and the other way they would show off um, was by using <laughs> saffron right. or cinnamon or nutmeg uh, in their cooking. Uh, and it was a way of saying, we're so wealthy, we can throw this stuff into our food and, and eat it. Um, is, that, is that filtered down into And so it has, yeah. So yeah. now you, you know, you'll, you'll come across a dish, as I did um, while I was there for the book, um, it was the sauce is called caso pipa, and this is a fish sauce um, from Chioggia, which is on the southern uh, flank of the lagoon. It's home of the beetroot. Uh, yes, there's uh, well, there's Chioggia radicchio. Um, there may be a beetroot as well. But the Chioggia radicchio is the is the is the very spherical right. radicchio. Then there's right. the torpedo shaped treviso. Yeah, lovely. and then there's a beautiful frondi treviso tardivo. You're which, a big big uh, Italian fan. Oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. Was like harking back to really early days, Polpo is probably the first time I ever actually ate radicchio. Did yeah. you do it with uh, pork collar or? Yes, we had uh, no, we had uh, pork with hazelnuts and hazelnuts, radicchio. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of our uh, one of our first signature too. dishes. Yeah. yeah. So um, Casso Pipa, um, which I first had at a restaurant called Antiche Carampani, uh, served with tagliarini, and uh, this was a, a sauce from Chioggia, and it's a you know it's a, a classic um, uh, pauper's kitchen. Dish in that the fish is whatever's left at the bottom of the net when all the good stuff goes to market. So it's the scraps from the fisherman's bucket, almost, which you buy very cheaply. You take home and cook uh, with um, uh, removing all the scales and all the gristle and all the cartilage and bone. So you're left with this sort of lovely fishy, soupy um, uh, sauce, which you then make into a stock. Um, and you flavour with six spices, um, so cinnamon and nutmeg, cloves. Um, and when I say spices, I mean uh, baking spices, what we would understand as baking spices, rather right. than fiery uh, yeah. uh, sort of chilli spices. Sweet spice. And so, exactly, sweet spice. So the, uh, the first time I had this dish, it was a bit of a revelation and said to Francesco, who runs the restaurant, Antiche Carampani, what's, what's the deal here? Never come across this. And he said, oh, it's just a, it's a very ancient recipe, probably about four or 500 years old. It was taught to me by my uncle, who's from Chioggia. 
Um, and the spices are completely typical of, of Venice and told with the story of the spice route. And, and you see it in lots of other respects as well. There's a, a, a very um, well-known restaurant in, uh, in very close to Arsenali uh, in the Giardini Castello district in the east of the city called Corte Sconta. And they have a, a signature dish, which is um, um, San Pietro, um, uh, John Dory, mm. which is poached and served with fine herbs, orange, like a sort of syrupy orange sauce and pink peppercorns. And it's a real surprise when you come across a, across a dish like that yeah. in mm. Venice. You think, well, what's going on here? Is the chef sort of, you know, had a bit of an odd moment. But it's, 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 it does look like a uh, fusion, but it's, it's very typically Venetian. Yeah, the Chioggia uh, fish one sounds revolting, so I'm going to have to try that. You have to try bat. it, yeah. yeah. I'm funny enough, I'm making it this uh, this coming Sunday at an so event. So you're off to Venice for a... Just a very time. small event, yeah. Just a Just part of... part of signing, a couple of thousand. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I wish it were a couple of thousand. It's not. It's a much smaller number. It's a new hotel next to Madonna dell'Orto on the northern coast of uh, Canareggio. Lovely. And did your spending that much time there... and and obviously you're a fan of the place, you have been a fan of the place for many years, but spending that much time there, you know, really immersing yourself there, has it, did it deepen your love for Venice or take away from it? You know, to uh, I don't think you, it could resident? have been deepened. I was, I was already completely smitten with right. line and sinker and have been for many years. But right. <clears throat> one of the things that I've never been able to do uh, was cook while I was there because I was stayed in hotels. Um, and the other thing was uh, the other thing I was unable to do was um, was go to the markets. Well, I've been to the markets virtually every trip I've ever taken there. But but actually, with a shopping basket mm, yeah. and point and buy and speak to the locals and the fishmongers and the greengrocers and sidle up to my neighbours who were slightly wary of me. I've got to say to start with, and then got used to me. And uh, when word got round the uh, the neighbourhood that there was this strange Englishman in, in their midst and this is what he was doing, writing a book about um, uh, Venetian cooking and collecting recipes from anybody that, uh, that, would, that would offer them. And were they, 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 were they quite open to offering? They were when they found out what I was doing, yeah. yeah. It was, the, the tables turned almost completely. And so, so instead of me asking the little old ladies at the market stall, excuse me, what are you, Miss Guzzi, Signora, um, what are you going to do with these um, ingredients? Um, once they found out what I was doing, they would chase me down the calle and sort of pin me against the wall and say, now, if you're writing a book about Venetian cooking, you must include my grandmother's recipe for dot, dot, dot. Yeah. So it um, it became so, uh, a you, very different experience quite you, quickly. And you got to cook for some other people as opposed to the yeah, vision yeah. in my head of you going to the market and coming back with this stuff and just making a meal for a one lot, and okay. making notes. I, 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 listen, there were a lot of times when that happened. You know, I went back on my own and in fact, more times than not. And I would, you know, photograph and take notes yeah. and be very scientific and um, for forensic about um, what I was doing and, and quite often I'd you know go to a restaurant um, not the fancy restaurants that um, that you know th that are in the guidebooks but the smaller places that the locals go to and have a dish and take notes as I was eating it and think okay I'm gonna try this tomorrow what's in here um, and, and so that so there were yeah there were there were lots of routes to the recipes that ended up in the book some of them you know given to me by neighbors some of them traditional venetian recipes some of them not venetian at all but very popular in venice Such venice as? um so for example the um the soup that everybody in venice makes it seems is minestra genovese so this is a minestrone from genoa uh, the reason for this is that um, genoa was an occupier uh, of Venice for, for many, many years. And so there are lots of Genovese influences mm. in Venice. 
and likewise Venice itself was you know was a a conquering republic for many centuries and so it would go around the world and steal ideas from other places so Venice is a hodgepodge it's mm. a you know it's a melting pot of cultures and uh, when it comes to food and drink it's you know a melting pot of um, culinary uh, traditions as well so how many of the the restaurants that informed your development of polpo originally are still going and how many of them are still great um I'd say most of them. There's one, La Cantina, which, uh, is, although it's, it's still there, and it was um, it was instrumental in the um, in the setup of Polpo because I went to um, Venice with our original head chef, Tom Aldroyd, and Tom did a stage in a place called La Cantina with a chef called uh, Francesco Zozotti. Um, and Tom told me when he came back that while he was there, Francesco, he was quite fond of um, of slicing the top of um of prosecco bottles with his very large knife classic and he would do it with beer as well and on one occasion he did this to i think a, a bottle a very large bottle of his um of his own beer which he he brewed on um on the mainland called um morgana and then took the knife and threw it towards tom's head and it embedded itself in the wall Merely, uh, sort of, literally inches from his ear, and did that sort of thug -a -thug -a -thug -a -thug -a thing, what and sort of laughed, laughed his head off. I, he was just a rather eccentric fellow who um, who walked under a train about three months ago. Oh, so oh, uh, yeah, the, so that's that's one of the places that um, that you know really influenced um, Polpo, right. but it's sadly no longer there. Oh. Um, and Francesco very sorely missed. Um, God, just across the uh, the street from that place, there's um, a very grumpy restaurant called Alavedova, very famous for their meatballs. Um, and it's run by a, a brother and sister. Um, the sister's name is um, Mirella. And um, she's absolutely ferocious. I mean, when it comes to hospitality, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's the land that hospi hospitality forgot, or the restaurant that hospitality forgot. But it's very you famous. It that? You, sort of, you have to, really. It's, yeah. you know, it's part of old school Venice, and it, um, you know, it, it works in lots of other ways. But don't expect a smile. That was one of the things I was surprised about. We were in Lisbon last week. Mm. We were saying earlier we went to Romero, the um, mm -hmm. fish restaurant, and I was expecting you know because they queues out the door you know you take a number take a ticket wait for your number to be called and get your table and thinking that hospitality is absolutely out the window at that point you know they're they're doing very well for yeah. themselves Anthony Bourdain obviously had a big effect on their business I think they were doing pretty well beforehand but you were thinking god the service here is going to be yeah. grumpy and that's what it's going to be and that would be fine because you sort of you're buying into that which I think some of these places you do but I was, I was surprised actually by how friendly the service was and how the hospitality was great yeah. you know smiley and Venice, Venice is quite famous for its grumpiness right. Venetians are um, well, you can sort of understand why tourism why, sort of you know, they've, they've, they've been uh, you know they've been swamped by tourists for many centuries now um, you know even in Byron's day yeah. it was a tourist destination you know through the sort of romantic era. Um, it was very much part of the Grand Tour, still is. Um, and so they've seen everything, uh, and they are constantly having to squeeze through crowds to get home with their shopping. They're constantly having to battle their way on and off Vaporetti on the canal, mm. on the Grand Canal. And so you can understand why they're you know, a little bit cheesed off mm. most of the time. 
um, but it manifests itself in some in some hilarious ways. There's a restaurant um, I mentioned it earlier, uh, Antica Carampani, that has a sign outside which says "No pizza, no lasagna, no directions." <laughs> Um, and this is because one of the things that frustrates the hell out of Venetians is people constantly asking for directions to two places, either, Real, either Rialto Bridge or St. Mark Square. Right. Yeah. I'm not even as specific right. as Harris Bar. It's yeah. just St. Mark Square or Rialto. Right. I mean, they're so easy to get to. They're, you know, they're, they're absolutely rammed uh, all four seasons, um, all the way through the day. They're quite peaceful at night, I have to say. Venice sort of goes yeah. to bed at about nine thirty. It's quite pleasant yeah. in the evenings for that respect. In that respect, and how are the how are the quieter months that you're out there? I mean, assuming you've been out there at different times, it doesn't so. really have an off season. It did oh, in really? the yeah in the seventies. You you know watch a movie like Don't Look Now, <clears throat> and it's you know set off season. You know they're I think the virtually the only people staying in their hotel, and they walk through the um, the, the dark and creepy streets at night and see nobody else other than the the dwarf in the red coat. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think that was probably the last decade where you had an off-season in Venice. I think, you know, even now, it, it, from the late 80s onwards, um, even November, December, January is pretty busy. Shamefully, I've only been once, but it was April, so it was pretty warm. And then April's a lovely time to go. it started snowing. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Like Lucky proper you. snow in the middle yeah. of April in, in Venice. Which That's is quite rare. It must have been quite beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. It was. Um, go back to Polpo yeah. quickly, if you if you will. Be just I would love to hear the origin story of that because you know without blowing too much smoke in the direction of your <laughs> behind, um, <clears throat> you know you were pretty instrumental in this in the sort of recrudescence of the London. I was working. I was scene. working in a in a um, rather executive corporate role um, for a large restaurant organisation for Mr. Caring and um, enjoyed it, enjoyed a lot of it and um, got on with, with Richard Caring and um, was very much enjoying the, um, uh, the business development uh, side of things. So, for example, uh, Jay Sheiky, which um, has uh, operated a restaurant on that site in Covent Garden since the early part of the 20th century, um, was doing very well indeed, and we were thinking about maybe buying a shop next door and opening an oyster bar because Shiki started as an oyster bar. Mm. So, for example, that was that was one of my projects. Um, the club at the Ivy, which was offices and two flats on the top floor. Um, it was a building that was owned by Mark Knopfler, right. and Richard Caring bought it from Knopfler and decided to do something interesting with it, which was to open a club. So that was one of my first projects as well. Uh, and then on the 25th of September 2008, Lehman Brothers collapsed and the whole world changed. And all of a sudden, within 24 hours, my job stopped being about business development and became about housekeeping and maintenance. Um, I was pretty much given a calculator and told to, you know... Consolidate. C- c- yeah, cut costs, consolidate, speak to our suppliers, get discounts, uh, t- tighten your belt, um, uh, fasten your seatbelt, and um, this, this is now what we're doing. And... It, I, you know, I went from enjoying my job to hating it. And so I thought, well, maybe this is the time. I've been thinking about it for many years. Maybe this is the time to, you know, to put my money where my mouth was and open my own restaurant. So um, my friend Richard Beatty, who had just sold a small company um, in media and advertising field, he was never in restaurants. He said, yeah, I think, you know, this could be an interesting time. 
So the timing was right for him as well. Yeah, I think so. And so um, I handed in my notice and um, I had to give quite a long notice, um, uh, period of notice, six months. And during that time, you know, we had a half an eye out on properties and so on. Um, and we came across one on Beak Street, which was the building where the painter Canaletto lived and worked. Oh. And there's a blue plaque on the wall outside. It's quite yeah, a remarkable yeah. coincidence. But we turned it down. I, I said it's too narrow. Couldn't get... Uh, what I needed in terms of the row of um, sort of bistro-style banquette seating and then some um, some individual tables on the other side. And then the agent came back to us because it was sitting on the market doing nothing and said, are you sure, guys? Because we hadn't found anything else in the meantime. He said, let me take you back in and, you know, just, just give it another once over because I think it's a great site. Mm. And while I was there with the agent, I said, well, yeah, the problem is it's too narrow, Josh. Um, if only I could see what's behind this, uh, this uh, veneer panelling here. And he said, well, look, if I turn my back, there's a chair there. Why don't you see what's behind the veneer <laughs> panelling? So I literally smashed a hole into the, um, the panelling, into the wall, and put my um, arm in, and it just kept going. And I think it was up to my shoulder before I touched brick wall. Crikey. And so I realised that all of a sudden there was another almost metre mm. of width, which I hadn't reckoned on. And so we pretty much signed that afternoon. Right. Um, got in there and um, redraw the plans charge you a little bit extra per square foot and <laughs> discovering that behind the wall so that was it so we, we got in there with a couple of sledgehammers and um, uh, and just ripped the place apart um, discovered some beautiful brickwork and some glazed Victorian glazed brick you know that white lovely white mm. stuff you find in hospitals uh, we found a timber a timber framed brick wall um, behind one of the um, sections of render um, and it started to get more and more interesting as mm. as it started to disintegrate. And it reminded me very much of Venice. Venice is a city which is disintegrating, dissolving. It's sinking. Sea levels are rising. Uh, Ruskin was so convinced that the city was, was going to disappear in his lifetime that he devoted several very long uh, periods, um, about six or seven years in total, uh, to... Um, uh, to sketching and, and and annotating beautifully the stones of Venice, mm. you know the um, archways and marble work that he saw on the on the palaces and buildings um, behind the palaces, um, and so the idea for Polpo had already um, established itself uh, over many years of trips to the city. I'd, I'd sort of I'm a, I'm a I'm a collector, you know I have boxes full of menus and knickknacks mm. and artifacts and matchbooks and pieces of crockery and cutlery and photographs and notes um and i um i had all of this stuff all of this venice stuff in a couple of boxes and i sort of opened the boxes up this is a couple of years before actually before the um uh, before the lehman brothers incident and i remember putting them all out on the floor and thinking well this is i haven't just been collecting i've mm. been subconsciously building a restaurant or certainly putting the ideas together for a restaurant um, and so Polpa was you know was pretty much uh, fully formed actually by the time we, we found the site it was just a case then of going back to Venice and fine-tuning it uh, and then some of the uh, you know the um, very distinctive style choices that that I made at the time uh, and which defined the look mm. of Polpo and also the you know, the d delivery of the menu, the whole small plate thing, and um, printed the menu onto a you know onto a large rectangle of uh, of carta palia, which is that beautiful yellowy yeah. butcher paper made from half straw, half paper pulp, wood pulp. Right. Um, 
so those elements all came together and you know I sort of created my version of a Venetian baccarat but with a, a hefty dose of sort of cool downtown Manhattan yeah. uh, dive bar as well and so that that was the birth of Pulpa really it was you know, I wanted a place that was very casual and um, with really fun soundtrack playing quite loudly and the lights you know very low wanted it to be the sort of place that um, you know that um, my parents might not enjoy, but that you know that friends of my son would. Did you have a sense for what it might become? No, not at all. I just hoped that enough people would come to you, you know to make it to, to make it viable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of things happen at the same time. Um, uh, the sorts the, the sorts of things that you couldn't predict or or um, or certainly couldn't um, generate intentionally. So uh, there was a. A, a definite sense um, after the financial crisis started that um, it was it was not the done thing to go out and enjoy yourself ostentatiously. Right. And so lots of fancy restaurants with white tablecloths and expensive silver cutlery, um, at high price point restaurants were not doing so well. Um, but those places that were uh, that were down at heel. Uh, in design terms, mm. and you know, felt a little bit more homely. Uh, seemed to be doing a lot better. I remember going into Barafina um, in January 2009. So this is three months, four months after the, the financial crisis started, and they were absolutely heaving. Right. And I remember saying to Richard, you know, the reason these places are doing well is because it, it, they sort of give permission to spend money. You probably spend the same amount of money in Barafina as you would in Bob Bob Rickard, mm. but it doesn't look like you're being uh, profligate. It doesn't look like you're being uh, yeah. um, ostentatious or gaudy. Um, and I said that's 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 why I think Polpo, uh, uh, you know, will work because there was a t there was a time. I've got to be honest. We had a you know we had a little bit of a wobble. Is this the right time? Are we doing the right mm. thing? And it was that Monday walking around Soho and seeing Barafina absolutely rammed that changed Richard's mind. He mm. was the one that was. Uh, most nervous, I think. And at what point did it evolve um, in, in your I mind? Just, I, 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 started a a I started a Twitter account and I just, I just took photographs of the build and you know, just accompanied those photographs with, um, with as much wit as I could muster and um, you know, engage with a few people. And it, it sort of it snowballed, actually. We, we, we got a lot of attention and people were interested in what we were doing and, um, and then we hired a publicist to, you know, to, to help um, that campaign. And by the time it got to you know a couple of weeks before opening, I could say I could tell there was a sense of anticipation, yeah. um, which was quite surprising but but quite pleasing. And then um, after that, when you know when did it evolve to being uh, you know a group as opposed to a rest? When did you? Uh, quite quickly, and yeah. I've got a you know it was, it was Richard's instigation. You know he saw how successful Popa was. We stood in the street after I think ten days. We've been open ten days, maybe two weeks. And I stepped out onto the street with him and we just looked back at the restaurant and people sort of pushing through the door and hearing the music come out through the door when it opened and seeing the lights sort of very dim through the um, curtained windows and sort of looked at each other and said, well, gosh, it's, it's worked, it's happened. Yeah. Um, and it was shortly after that he said, we've got to look for another site. I said, whoa, wait a second, we've barely opened this one. But he was, he was chomping at the bit. Um, I seem to remember when you opened Polpet. I've got a cold one for you. That's okay. I'll, 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 okay. Is, it, is it going to ruin things? We, should, we no. should actually cover yeah. this one off at this point. So, okay. so <laughs> sitting in front of, uh, of Russell, 
We have Bolo Badwa. Which I've just opened, is that all right? Yeah. Because do you like it at room temperature? There's been a bit I, of a debate. Yeah, no, I like chilled and room temperature. I'm, I'm, here we go. Listen okay, to so, that. We'll, so we'll start with that. But, um, now, I messaged you yesterday saying, Are you off Twitter? And you said, I've been off Twitter for five years. But it sticks in my mind a tweet that you wrote. Uh, which was my top ten drinks, and number one yeah. was bad one. Yeah, which is which is something that becomes. You know, when you read something and it becomes like a shorthand or something. If anybody says sparkling water, one of us would say bad one, yeah. and then one of us ah Russell Norman. Oh really? Yeah, that would be the reference. <laughs> yeah. Canonical. Like honestly, um, if I see that on the shelves in the supermarket, yeah. I think of you, bad one. I've subsequently changed my mind since ah. that treat. No, only be, only because I've, I've discovered. No, no, no. Um, I do like Vichy Catalan. Yeah. It's very salty though, but I do like it. No, the one the one I like is um, Ulivetto, which is a very gently sparkling Italian okay. um, water, but very very similar to bad one. Um, I'm not going to remember all the ten, but I remember being like, oh, this is, you know, fascinating and and unusual that you're no one was bad one. I think number two is Yorkshire tea. Oh yeah, still yeah. definitely there at number two. Maybe number three was Campari or Negroni. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But I can't think what else is in that list. Top ten. I just think opening on Badwar is yeah, is that a, was the uh, big high quality. Mate. Mate. It's a great drink. It's a great yeah. beverage. Um, I have ordered Badwar in restaurants in the past and been brought a Budvar. You've got to be very careful. Like the Badwar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also in front of you, which I didn't get the joke, but Will, <laughs> our office friend and uh, great restaurateur, owner of Ten Cases and Parsons. And drop wine app. He brought out three packets of wheat crunchies and some double decker for you. Yep. I think it was in homage to his respect for your general vibe. But can you talk us through those? Uh, well, wheat crunch, uh, spicy tomato wheat crunchies are, uh, as everyone knows, the greatest savoury snack ever invented. No, I'd put them top five. Mm. I'd put them top five. <laughs> what are your top four? Uh, well, if you, uh, when you say savoury, I go super savoury. So uh, you're looking at scampi fries. Oh, come on. They've got to be up We're there. talking in the crisp milieu. Yeah, right? but yeah. scampi fries, oh, really? Come on. Mm. Salt and vinegar squares. No, no, I put, I put them. Salt and vinegar squares, I'm yeah, with you. I'd, I'd scampi fries, I put in the same category as skips. And that's Ooh, not a good really? category. No. Yeah, I'd, I'd say they're a classier choice than a skip. Brannigan's ham and mustard. Don't know Brannigan's ham and mustard. Oh, yeah, Brannigan's pretty good. I, I still, I still, um, sorry, go back to your salt and vinegar squares two or three times a week. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Are you a big crisp fiend? I love them. Right. Discos, salt and vinegar discos. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to fist bump Russell for salt and vinegar discos. <laughs> they're incredible. They're, um, I always find them more on uh, motorway service stations mm-hmm. than. If I'm yeah, slumming it, barbecue move. hula hoops. Ah. Yeah, that's a yeah. killer choice. Yeah, they're very so. good. Yeah, um, we could we could just cheesy Doritos. Yeah. Right, we're find <laughs> we we could just talk about crisps. <laughs> yeah. we really could, night. but let's not. Um, I remember when you. I remember when you opened Polpetto. You saying this is our third restaurant, but it was only the second one you'd opened. Yeah, we well okay. So I, I mentioned earlier that um, that Polpo was a Venetian back row with a hefty dose of downtown uh, New York dive bar. Uh, New York was another city that fascinated me and I spent a lot of time going back and forth and like the trunk full of ephemera and uh, uh, and knickknacks uh, and um, artifacts that I collected for Polpa, I did something similar for Spuntina without really realising what I was doing. I'd go to New York and get inspired and think, oh my God, and take photographs and make notes and collect menus and so on. And so I'd had this idea for a... Uh, very scruffy um, burger bar with um, a very loud, crunchy blues soundtrack. Um, excuse me. Bad wire. Um, natural gas. Shall I start again? <laughs> um, 
a, a down and dirty uh, dive bar with burgers, sliders, crunchy blues soundtrack. Um, and sort of had this picture in my mind and I, I knew th- you know, that it needed to be a small space. I knew that it needed to be in Soho, um, preferably in the grottiest part of Soho where drugs were dealt outside and prostitutes sort of walked back and forth. Um, and while we were looking for that, because we wanted no, that to be... No you found a- Ajax to manage it. <laughs> <laughs> while we were looking for that... Um, I'll just remind me about Ajax. So I'll tell you how I found Ajax later. Um, while we were looking for that site, um, the space above the French house came available, which, funny enough, has just been taken over yeah. by Neil Borthwick. So this was the very small upstairs room in a, in a uh, legendary drinking hole in Soho. And it's where Fergus started and where Margot continued the whole nose-to-tail thing with the French house dining room. as a place we used to love going. And I think Richard, you know, heard that it was up for grabs and he had a great deal of affection for the times that he spent there. Two or three times a week, I think, eating, you know, right. eating that wonderful nose-to-tail food. And he said, let's do, let's do something up there while we're waiting to find Spantino. I said, no, it's, it's off, it's, you know, it's off, uh, off brand. It's, you know, it's a French pub that doesn't serve pints and, you know, it's where the revolution... Uh, sorry, it's where the um, uh, resistance... That's what we tell where the, where oh, the resistance used to meet in the... In the what's the connection with, with Venice and New York? It's just weird. Um, but he convinced me, and so we opened uh, a, a little 24-seat version of Polpo, which we call Polpetto, with um, tiny little wine glasses, like you, find, like you find in Alavedova to this day, right. the grumpy place I mentioned. Um... And so it was a bit of a distraction, um, but we opened it and opened it accidentally. And so although we opened it, yeah, before Spantino, it was it was actually not was, supposed to be our yeah. second restaurant. So, yeah, it came out that way. It was where I had my first date with my now wife. I remember. Better, That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spantino, I must say, actually, Spantino is, uh, I would put that in the top two most underrated in London. Oh, thank so you. So it would be Spantino and Pigeon. Oh, right. <laughs> um, just I, I, genuinely, which I'm not saying just because you're here, but I just think Spontino is a fantastic place. Is genuinely one of those places we go there a lot because yeah. it's it's sort of super reliable in a way. Which for a place which obviously you say comes from that sort of dive bar, yeah. Brooklyn-y kind of thing, but the food is on point and yeah. the service is great and the room's fun. And it's, it's, I do, well, thank you for saying so. And, and the the reason I think that it that it works um, and so many people like it for the reasons you just described is because everything uh, that you see uh, sorry let me start that sentence again the reason it works I think is because uh, it's 27 stools around a bar uh, and you're looking at the show effectively you're looking at the bartenders you know Mm. mixing drinks right in front of you and having conversations with you about the food bringing it out themselves Um, I could have got double the number of covers if I'd used a traditional table and chair format, but put this massive bar in with 27 stalls because I wanted it to be a bit of a show, I wanted it Mm. to be a theatre. It's a sort of, uh, it's a cocktail (laughs) cocktail version of Benihana. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, I love Benihana. I haven't been to Benihana for years, but when I was a kid, it was the best. In my head, because I was in one in San Francisco, I think, when I was a kid, Mm. and in my head, they could throw a prawn up and one of their sort mm. of big cleavers they had, sort of swing them around, and it would come down in the shape of like a butterfly or something. Yeah, that never in my happened. Head, that it never happened. happened no, yeah, it did, it did, I think it did That's happen. It did happen that. in the. Um, yeah. I don't. Yeah. One of my favourite movies, Monsters Inc. Oh yeah. The sushi restaurant in Monsters Inc. is called uh, Harryhausen's, 
and um, you don't know the film you're looking no, at me completely no. blankly. I, I mean, I should know it because I have three kids. It's one of the. It, it's it's the restaurant I want to visit more than any other restaurant in the world. Unfortunately, it doesn't exist in the world. It just mm. exists in a movie. But it's yeah, it's it's somebody should make Benihana, and it is the sort of place where a prawn could be thrown in the air and. And the chef could yeah, do mean, magic I, with it. I'm and not willing comes to down looking like walk a back from that. In my head, that happened. <clears throat> right. So I'm going to. Do you have a favourite child, so to speak, restaurant-wise? Uh, it's a. It's probably a, a toss-up between uh, Beak Street and Spintino. So the original Polpa and Spintino. Yeah, they still they still do it for mm. me. Those two. Be, and you just had this big, um, maybe not big, but a refurb and a sort of reset at Polpetto. Yeah. How's that? How's that going? It's good. I, it has. It is a refurb. We ripped all the furniture out and put it back in the different because there, there was a long section of uh, bistro, you know, yeah, Fred, yeah. Parisian bistro style banquette seating on the right hand side. Um, That's all changed. Yeah, I took the the, the sections of the banquette were um, 140 centimeters long, and I thought, well, if I swivel them around and make booths, will it work? And it does just work, and they're beautiful. I remember um, when uh, we were opening Pigeon, and I had a back and forth with you about table sizes. Yeah. And I said, okay, we've gone for, I think, 600 by 500. Is that going to be too small? And you said, no, no. So, and you just plucked some random restaurant in New York out there. I said, no, they do that. It's great. I just thought, that's, that's Russell. Yeah. He knows the fucking table sizes of every well, restaurant. You, uh, but it, Rye is, it's in Williamsburg, and it's a beautiful place. Um, and there's no reason for them to have such narrow tables. Um, but they do. They have 60 by 50 tables. Mm. And 50 centimetres is, is probably the the bare minimum that you can you well know, I think they were thing. 50 by 50 if not 45 by 45 when we inherited Pigeon oh my god and yeah, we were like it. we'll leave the tables we can't afford it we don't have the budget mm. and for the three week build or whatever every time a local would come past they'd say please tell us you're changing the tables so eventually like alright screw it we're going to have to yeah 45 centimetres is a little bit mean your Smoke. elbows would fall off the edges I'd say well, yeah. that happens anyway after a few, enough Negronis <laughs> um, hi Gordon Ramsay here do you know what really jingles my bells? Vodka. Huh? That's right. Not just any vodka, donkey, but our London vodka. It's vodka, made in East London, distilled by folks savvy enough to know you don't need cocaine to get your freak on. Not when you've got great vodka. Wow. Pop down to Magpie in central London, next to my restaurant, Head and Street Kitchen, and quote the kitchen is on fire to the bartender to get 50% off an our London-based vodka cocktail. Mmm. Vodka, Merry fucking Halloween. Moving outside of London, how how's that been? As a, as a it's not been experience. great for us. Um, we have one restaurant now outside of London, which is in Brighton, which is doing very well. Popular Brighton does very well. Uh, but we opened in Bristol, uh, Exeter. Um, they did okay, but uh, what we found was that we were spending eighty five percent of management time trying to get those provincial restaurants uh, up to speed. Right. Uh, and never quite managed it. You know, we just about you know got to a situation where we were breaking even in some of them, making small losses in others, and but spending all that time going up and down the M4, mm. or, you know, on a train, and uh, and a lot of management time trying to fix those problems. While we had these wonderful restaurants in Soho and Covent Garden and Smithfield and Duke of York Square uh, that were being neglected because they were doing okay. And it was the wrong thing to do. We were, you know, we were um, spending a lot of time chasing very little. So mm. um, restaurants that were contributing negligibly, uh, negligibly to the um, to the company. 
to the estate were uh, were the biggest draw in terms of management time and resources. And why is it that you think? Do you think that um, Brighton works well and Bristol doesn't? Because on um, paper they aren't massively different to metropolitan elites such as I think in Bristol we we open on White Ladies Road it's a residential area there are some businesses down there which do incredibly well there's um, uh, coffee and tea shop plus plus called Boston Tea Party yeah and they're doing phenomenal business Um, they've been around forever haven't they uh, quite a long time yeah yeah. I'm I'm, I'm an alumnus of Bristol so okay yeah Um, and other yeah other spots on White Ladies I think did um, quite well Um, but the, the problem we had was, uh, you know, in, in, in every um, endeavour, we have tried to make Polpo a very casual drop-in whenever you like sort of place. And people treat it like that in Soho and in Covent Garden, uh, everywhere in central London, London in fact. But um, we struggled in Bristol and Exeter to convince the locals that it was that sort of place. Right. And they would only treat it as a special occasion sort of place. So we got people, you know, coming there. Graduation week was fantastic, you know, right. in both restaurants for, you know, for the, for the entire week. If we could have seven graduations, gra- graduation weeks every year, uh, let's say half a dozen Christmases, uh, yeah. <laughs> then, you know, we'd be, we'd, we'd be laughing. But, um, yeah, it just didn't work off, off peak. So we really struggled Mondays through to Wednesdays. We struggled at lunchtime. Weekends are fantastic. Did you? And I think. Sorry. I just, I just think I think it's it's partly our fault. You know, we um, we have uh, a restaurant that is quite peculiar in some respects, and not everybody gets it. Um, and we didn't do enough to a communicate it or b change it. Possibly, you know, maybe we should have softened it. Um, and we did. There was you know, there were some things which you know which still have me scratching my head. Um, when we opened um, in Bristol, I think the the biggest number of complaints we had was because we poured Prosecco into little tumblers yeah, like right. this, rather than champagne flutes. And most of our Bristolian customers expected Prosecco to be poured into a champagne flute. And didn't, didn't like the sort of quirky no. elbows on table elements that... No. Um, you know, and the, we did a lot of staff training. Daryl, who's our um, you know chief trainer and ops guy, he um, you know he he spent a lot of time with the staff saying, you know, when you get a response like this, just say, well, we you know we like to do it because of X, because of Y, and when we go to our favourite place in uh, in in Venice, uh, this is how the wine is served because this is how the locals drink, and they just just looked just like but it, I mean, you can have that in London. You know, you yeah. know, you know, we've had similar things with Magpie being closer to. Mm. Mayfair in some ways than it is to Soho, mm. you know, and some things that people expect or yeah. want from a restaurant that in their heads in Mayfair and in our heads is on the edge of Soho, mm. <laughs> even though geography, geographically it's not. Yeah. You know, you, you get those things and I suppose you have to bend a little mm. and then it's at what point do you hold the line and, yeah. you know. So I take, you know, our, our provincial experiment um, didn't work and I, I take full responsibility, personal responsibility actually for, you know, for not thinking uh, would it, will it work? Is it the right sort of restaurant offer to appeal to a large number of people in a in a town like Bristol? You know, Bristol is, as you know, as a Bristolian or as somebody who spent some time there, it's not a city like London that has a central hub and then uh, mm. and then sort of a ring and then another ring of suburbs. It's it's full of these. It's, it's a, a bit, bit more like yeah, it's a bit more like New York. You've got yeah. these sort of neighbourhoods next to each other, and actually some of the cooler neighbourhoods aren't in the centre. 
There's the, I mean, uh, was it Paul Rudd or Jason Bateman or one of those guys on Mark Maron? Um, and he was asking about the films that they, they regretted doing. And so the thing is, you don't get to see the film before you make it. Mm. So the, all these things, you're like, oh, yeah, that was shit. We should have done that yeah. differently. It's like, yeah, but you, you, you know, there's, mm. there's only so much you can anticipate and yeah. correct for. And you, but you don't want to go into these things too defensively anyway. Yeah. You want to sort of say, this is what we're doing. I suppose for you, I mean, looking at from the outside, of, you know, we have two restaurants, but for you and, and sort of Pulpo as a group, you, you were sort of the hip young thing. You know, when it opens, you have that burst of, mm. you know, and you guys were packed and obviously super successful in all these places. And then we, we were thinking about this recently we sort of rejigged the sort of offering a little bit of pigeon and you know gone to sort of this slightly mystery menu and added yeah. a couple of courses and to keep it fresh and exciting for us but it's also that thing of where you're the you know where we were not that we were as big a deal as obviously as Polpo was but where you have that first buzz of excitement and things are going great and you feel like people are talking about you and you know in a similar way as I said about Spontino being underrated you know mm. places it's easy for places to fall off the radar and people not to appreciate the work that's being done yeah. there or the offering that they're giving and I think uh, you know f how is that for you guys you've gone from this position of being like pop is like the coolest thing in the world and now you're you know you're a staple for a lot of people yeah. in a positive way but right. it obviously and changes also a lot, a lot of people come in and they will look at Polpa and they think oh it's one of those places that has squirrel cage light bulbs and uh, right. bare brick walls yeah they've just jumped on the bandwagon yeah. <clears throat> um, and you know you, you, you can't afford to get frustrated or upset about that because yeah. it's going to happen well, they say imitation um, is the sincerest form of flattery. You could say that, but then you know, it then goes beyond that. You know, when uh, when you get squirrel cage light bulbs in Nando's and yeah. and uh, Pret a Manger uh, rejigs its entire estate to look more like Pulper with bare brick walls, it's um, you know, it's gone, gone beyond that. Bricks, yeah. It's gone beyond that. It's, there's a line in Withnerai which I love. I think it's um, Danny, the drug dealer, who says they're selling hippie wigs in wars, mm, yeah. man. And it's exactly that. You know, we're in a situation where they're selling hippie wigs in wars. They've yeah. got squirrel cage light bulbs in Nando's. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you, but you know, like you've you done a refurb of Palpetta, and it's that yeah. thing of you know, sort of doubling down, I guess, from obviously what happened. Well, the refurb. So with Palpetto, we, what we've done is we've we've gone way back to the sixties and seventies, and We've tried to we've tried to um, create a restaurant that um, well my my starting point my um, uh, my inspiration for the new Polpo um, it was the scene in The Godfather where um, uh, where Michael Cor where, 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 where Michael Corleone goes to the loo and there's the and gun in the system yeah. exactly comes back into the restaurant and blows the cops brains out um, but that's the sort of restaurant you know that red sauce Italian red checker um, uh, gingham tablecloth joint that you know that i love when i go to new york yeah. i mean the, the food's always terrible yeah but such generous portions yeah um and i God wanted gantuan. sorry <laughs> it's I, a call back to about episode 10 of this podcast <laughs> gargantuan, gargantuan portions yeah, yeah. um or you go to carboni and spend you know 500 quid of maine or whatever yeah. the hell it is Exactly the car. Yeah, Carboni is a, a, a is a great example of um, of a reinvented red sauce joint. Yeah. Um, so Paul Petty, we've got a great new chef, Anthea Stevenson from River Cafe, whose food is phenomenal. Um, but I wanted the place to look, you know, a little bit more like those. We used to have red sauce joints in Soho. Uh, Lorelei closed down. 
Um, is Vasco and Piero still going? Vasco and Piero are still there, yeah, but they've always been a little bit fancy. They've oh, always had right? white okay. tablecloths and the, all the um, waiters are from Umbria and they're all in their 60s. But it's right. great. I mean, the pasta is phenomenal. But there's a place on Greek Street, which is now the uh, Lena Stores restaurant, yeah. not to be confused with Lena Stores store. On um, uh, We've already discussed it earlier in this Oh, really? Recording before you arrived. But the restaurant that was there before Lino Stores was called um, Da Aldo, I think. Right. And it was a scruffy red sauce Italian. Massive pepper grinder, <laughs> basket weave Chianti bottles. Always. Uh, and yeah, there's a charm, I think, to that style of oh, restaurant huge, that, um, you know, that I miss. Yeah. You know, there are very few places like that still. And there's a place, I think, in Lamb's Conduit Street. Oh, Chow Bella. Chow Bella. Chow Bella which we, go, we go there at least once a year. Okay. Go, very good. badly. Yeah. We're running short on time and we've, oh, got, we are, yeah. we've got a quick fire round to oh, hit. Right. We didn't get to talk about double deckers. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> well, so like the wee crunchy uh, discussion we had earlier, there are certain savoury snacks which are, uh, which are head and shoulders above the others. And um, when it comes to confectionery, you know, I, I like good chocolate. You know, I like really fancy 72% cocoa quality chocolate made by a you know, really serious artisan chocolate maker. But There's I also, not as much but I also like you. junk like this. And Cadbury Double Decker is, at, at, I wouldn't say at the top, I, I, it changes for me. Starbar, Starbar, Starbar is um, is also hovering near is that the top. Milky Way, sort of. No, 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 no Starbar's are very salty peanut yeah. oh, yeah. uh, chocolate covered. But they're full peanuts, aren't they? Yeah, they're big peanuts. Oh yeah, them. yeah, less sort of chopped up than an, in your average Snickers. Hmm. Twirl, love a twirl. twirl. Love a twirl, but tough to eat without getting um, bits of chocolate yeah. on your trousers. Yeah, eat it standing up. You should, well, you should try. You should try a flake in the bath when the phone's ringing. <laughs> That's really tough. Yeah, I'm, I'm not that sort of sexy <laughs> 80s lady who bathes with flake bars in hand. Um, okay, we'll do... We have two sort of quickfire things. So the first one is just a quickfire. Okay. So you can expand on your answer. All right. But it needs to be from the heart okay. and the gut. Oh, God. Okay. <sighs> okay. Uh, your favourite Mexican dish? Um... I- I'm not that familiar with Mexican food. If you, got, you have I've, to pick, you can get nachos, burrito, enchilada. You don't have any. Uh, no, a burrito, actually. I like a burrito. In fact, I was early for a meeting uh, the other day and popped into, for the first time ever, because my daughter had mentioned it, popped into Chipotle. Oh, and had a chicken burrito in Chipotle. And so how was your chicken burrito? It's really good. <laughs> yeah. I remember when Chipotle opened, I was like, oh, we got to go here. I went there before a show or something. Yeah. It was great, yeah. But they've struggled. James, what's your go-to Mexican dish? Uh, Doritos. Okay. Doritos. Okay. Very. <laughs> my daughter nice. makes. My daughter gets um, gets a packet of um, nachos, Doritos, puts them on a tray, and grates loads of cheese over them. Stunning. Puts them under the grill. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Is it? Yeah. Uh, pizza or pasta? Oh man. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> You kill me with this. That's not this quick is, fire. Oh no! Oh, come on, I, I, I can't. It's like it's Sophie's choice. That is literally not literally because that would involve children and Nazis. <laughs> well, but, but, but the OED is just redefining the word literally, so you're allowed. 
Oh, is it really? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't approve of that. Um, that is, for me, that is um, uh, like Sophie's Choice, I'm afraid. Okay. I cannot answer the pizza pasta question. Okay. Uh, your favourite city in the UK, aside from London, if London is your favourite, but you live here a bunch, so. Cambridge. Oh, nice. Mm. Do, you, do you like Cambridge? I don't know at all. I've only been yeah. once, to my knowledge, to Fitzbilly's to see Tim Hayward. Okay. My grandparents used to live there. I like the Fens. They're quite mm-hmm. creepy, which I'm quite into. What's your favourite city, James? Ripon. Is it a city? It is. Is it? Actually, Chichester's a city because it's got a cathedral. Uh, your go-to. I'm exhausted. I can't be bothered, but I've got to cook something. Um, we call them in our house mediocre noodles, right? Uh, and that's just uh, Japanese um, instant noodles: foil top, kettle, yeah, stir, chopsticks. No additions, you're not oh, I raising do. the bar. Yeah, but my yeah. kids don't, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll just throw in some jalapenos and a bit of Tabasco. Yeah, but, oh, yeah. But once again, it's my, my nachos with melted cheddar daughter, yeah, yeah. Mabel. She, um, she, she coined the phrase mediocre. And she, you have to say it. You have to say it. With, I don't know why, but you have to say it with a Sean Connery accent. So it's <laughs> mediocre noodles. Nice. I like it. Uh, the best shoe? Um, Red Wing. Yeah. I've got about. Yeah, I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to embarrass myself by saying how many pairs I've got. But more than Liam Gallagher has trainers. <coughs> wow. There you go. Wow. That's you a could, solid. You could really kick someone's boot. head in with those, couldn't you? Uh, your fish and chip shop order of choice. Oh, I'm really sorry. Savoy and chips. That is another fist oh, is bump for Russell. Oh, do you know? Do you know the? the I feel really embarrassed saying no, that. No, no. The VIP move is you get a puck of pie as well. And you dip the Savaloy into the oh, steaming that is God. Foul. That is that honestly, is it's one of the nicest things you ever eat in your life. That is too sexual. That is not. What's your what is your go to? Fish and chips, cod and chips. Yeah, cod that's my that's a very sauce. a very close second. Haddock. I did not cod for me. Haddock and chips, but uh, uh, my week, my kryptonite is yeah. is um, is Savaloy. I don't think I've ever had a Savaloy. Ah, the pop when you bite into oh, one yeah. of those. It's mind changing. It's life changing. Uh, your opinion of horses. I like horses a lot. Yeah. Um, and I, I've got an ambition. Thing. I've got an ambition to. I, I've moved to the country. I live in Kent, in Pluckley, the most haunted village in in the UK. Really? Is that right? And um, there are a couple of horse riding schools near me, and it's um, it's on my. It's very close to the top of my list of things to do. Nice. I've never ridden a horse, but I want to see whether I like it. I think I might. I think I've Ooh. sat on the back of a horse before, but I may have I as a kid. Whether I rid it, or, or it might have been a donkey. Whether I rude it. Uh, your favourite bread. Uh, Pugliese, if I'm being really... Pretentious. Yeah, pretentious <laughs> and, and foodie. Um, my daughters love this. I don't know what you call it. They sometimes call it tiger bread and sometimes call it giraffe bread. But uh, yeah. there's something evil in it, which yeah. is quite... Well, kind of sesame. Sesame. Oh. Yeah, it's got another name in America, but here it's it's tiger bread. It's, yeah, I think it's delicious. It has sesame seeds in the mm, crust. Yeah, It's delicious, but God knows what it's made out of, right. apart from sort of sesame extract or so okay uh oh also final uh, mm. quick fire question that i'm adding to your parka with the big furry hood yeah. that you wore in the restaurant <laughs> what's that called the restaurant, restaurant man? yeah uh which my wife thinks basically you you're the hottest man alive while because wearing of that, that coat where's that parka from it's i need the, to make my wife love okay, me again it's the designers uh, called yves solomon okay french designer i think sounds french do you still wear yours can i have it I still wear it in the winter. If it's really okay. cold, there's no point wearing it unless it's absolutely bitter okay. and snowing because uh, it's really warm. My wife's a big fan of that coat. Okay. Uh, okay, and the final bit of the quickfire is overrated, underrated, or correctly rated? 
Okay. What is? Oh, you're about oh, to you're say. Gonna, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, paninis. Correctly rated. How do you feel about a panini? I like paninis. I, I'm not sure about the S on the end because oh, it's already yeah, a plural. I knew that was coming. <laughs> that's it's, the that's octopuses, the... octopi. It's octopuses. <laughs> There's no question. It's not a debate. It's octopods. It's octopodes in Greek. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. octopodes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yes, two points. Okay. Panini, sorry, I don't want to die panini. on this hill and we don't have a lot much time. P- panini yeah. is the English for a specific kind yeah, yeah, of sandwich. Yeah, you're right. Okay, you're right. Panino yeah, is it. Italian for sandwich in general, but it's, yep. there's a specific kind. So You're right. Even, I, even I say I say trattorias when I'm talking about the plural, even though well, it should trattoria. be trattoria. It's exactly. Um, what would be your go-to panini? Um, classic uh, caprese, mozzarella, very good tomatoes, basil, olive oil, lots James, of salt. What do you oh, like? I don't actually like a panini. No, no. So overrated, for you. Like, correctly no, rated no. for us. Uh, overrated, underrated, correctly rated. Old school hotels. Oh, um, uh, underrated. I, I love old school hotels. But can we define old school hotels? If you're t- if you're talking chintz and carpets, right? Then uh, I mean, no, I absolutely hate them. So they yeah. would be overrated, massively overrated. But if you're talking old school, as in the Connaught, um, I, I think I mean the Grand, the kind ah, of you okay. know. Little, you no, see, no, when, no, you say, all, when you said old school, the, the, the hotel I immediately think of is um, is the very scruffy but beautiful Pensione Seguso in Venice. Right now, this is uh, this is um, an old family palazzo. Uh, which was converted into a hotel in the late 19th century and has had nothing done to it since. Right. So there are no mod cons, no television, no Wi-Fi, no uh, air conditioning. It's got heating in the winter. The beds are all 120 years old and Victorian and very high and they creak. Wow. But I love it. Oh, it sounds awful. <laughs> no, I'll take that in comparison to like a Philippe Stark or whatever, one of those, yeah. the, you know, those ti- with the tiny rooms... I think more and more I'd like a bit of sweep to a hotel, yeah. you know, a bit of faded grandeur. Like the place we stayed in San Francisco. Was that like that? That's very grand. It was a bit, yeah. Uh, okay, uh, old school restaurants. Um, I suppose we sort of touched on that a little bit with Italian red sauce. I'd say underrated. I, th- I think we should spend more time going to old school restaurants and uh, be uh, more loyal to those places that have been around for a long time. There's this... Uh, obsession with the new, isn't there? For sure, yeah. You know, we've got to go to the newest place here and the newest place there. But I think that's been redressed recently. I think there's been a lot of love for places like Charbella, for example. Mm, yeah. um, what's the place that does pressed duck? Oh, Otto's. Otto's. Yeah. It's, been, yeah. it's been around for a while, but it's had not a... Not that long. Oh, has it not? No, I think um, five years, six oh, years. Okay. It carries itself as if, yeah. if it's been there for 40 years, doesn't it? And what's the place I keep meaning to go, but I've never made it? It's, in, it's on the ground floor of a, a purpose-built apartment block in St. John's Wood. Oh, Oslo Court? Yeah. Oh, sauce Oslo Court? I've n- you can get that on a number of different proteins. <laughs> Mushrooms, cream, onion. Interesting, you That's, mentioned that to me. Oslo Court. <laughs> no, we're not going to... Are we going to Oslo Court for dinner? Keep going. We're taking Sam out as a surprise birthday, don't Ooh. we? Um, popcorn. Oh, um, I, I, everybody loves popcorn. It's underrated. I love it. Yeah, I can't get enough of it. Well, it's probably correctly rated. Correct, correctly rated, rated, yeah. It depends okay. what other people... Yeah. Uh, beaches. Um, the movie or the bits of sand <laughs> bits, with bits near, of the sand. Um, near the sea. 
I love a beach, yeah? so I, I'd say correctly racing. What footwear do you rock on a beach? Or are you None. Barefoot. Yeah, barefoot. Yeah. Or um, more with nature. Can't imagine you in a flip flop. Never right? a flip flop. No, no, I use um, uh, Converse sand shoes. Uh, you know, just the classic um, Converse All Stars. Okay. The shoe, not the boots. The little booty. Right, right. Um, and and I've got a very scr- I've got a couple of very scruffy pairs. I don't replace them very often. I just I like them more as they get older. Right. But mostly barefoot. Speedos. Definitely not. Definitely. <laughs> overrated. <laughs> uh, lasagna. Ooh, yeah. I do like a good lasagna. Um, correctly rated. Wow. Massively overrated. Really? Yeah. Oh, you've never had a proper one then? Yeah, my wife makes a nice one. It's bizarrely sweet, but I like it. Lasagnas shouldn't be too sloppy. And I think that's the problem. We, um, we, we tend to make them, in yeah. this country anyway, with a, with a lot of uh, white sauce. And it should have just a very, just a, just a smidge of tomato and a smidge of what, you know, the, 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 the layers should be visible rather than... And you should be able to slice it so it sits that's up it. when it's cold. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I think we tend to make it too liquid in this country. You know, no, yeah, it's very part, the, the so-called authentic method is very parsimonious. A dab of sauce and it's basically, uh, I, I like the trashy English version. Okay. Yeah. I, I think we you catch should up to Tabasco, oh, no, no, Tabasco no. and peas on no, the side. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, and finally, parents. overrated, underrated, or correctly rated experience. Big question. Overrated. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Oh, as, as, as a as a concept, James, yeah. experience is it overrated. No, just generally, okay, in a races? in a in a vocational and professional sense. You know, people coming to me with loads of experience, uh, I'm less inclined to hire, I think, than people that come with no experience. So why did you hire Ajax? <laughs> he had no experience. I hired Ajax when he was a kid. Yeah, we made a mistake. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, Ajax, I was, I, was having a, I was having a drink or two in the French house, funny enough, in the bar, and I, I um, bumped, in, I bumped into um, Jeanette. Um, this is before Polpo. Um, but not long before Popa, I think it was, you know, maybe six months and, you know, we'd, we'd got the site and we're starting to build it, something like that. I was having a drink, bumped into Jeanette, you know, got talking. And when I mentioned what I was doing, she said, oh, you need to meet my son. He'd be great for your restaurant. Um, so I met him and I was desperate. No, no, I, I, <laughs> I met him and, um, yeah, he, um, he gave a very good account for himself. He does. Yeah. We had our run, so I'll tell you a story about Ajax. So this is, I mean, two weeks in, the place was absolutely heaving. Uh, understaffed, we were always understaffed because we, you know, we were just playing catch-up the whole mm. time. I was running the floor. I had, a, I had a clipboard with names of people that were waiting. I was on to page three of the wait list. You know, not sure that I could, you know, take any more people onto the wait list because not sure that I'd be able to serve them that day. Mm. Uh, and Ajax, I think, was on his own behind the bar and um, working very hard, but then he sort of left. I thought he'd gone to have a cigarette or something. So I went outside and said, what the fuck do you think you're doing? You haven't got time for a cigarette. And he said, no, no, I've, just, I've got to go, I've got to go. I've just had a call. My girlfriend's just thrown all my stuff out the window. I said, I don't give a shit. And we had this huge Barney on the street. He's a tall guy. He's a big boy. <laughs> and I remember I was so fired up and so full of adrenaline that I somehow managed to pull myself to his height. I don't know what I it was on tiptoes, and my tiptoes were on tiptoes. But so um, uh, adamant that he wouldn't leave and so absolutely terrified that he, that he might that you know, I decided to, you know, to, to be as up. physical as I could. I was, like, I was like, just like a cat yeah. <laughs> with its heckles up. And it worked. 
he sort of slunk back into the restaurant, got <laughs> behind the bar, and finished the shift. Ajax is our ex-manager at Magpie, by the way, who's now in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, love Ajax. Yeah, we love Ajax. He's uh, larger than life. Ajax, if you're listening, lots of love. Hope you lots are. of love, Ajax. Um, Russell, thanks so much. Mm, Thank you. Been, it's like been my pleasure too. And can I just ask, are these nine? Double deckers and three wheat crunches. Mine. They all for you. Yeah. That's, uh, that's say thanks to Will from Will Ten Cases. Will from Parsons and Ten Cases. Thank you for uh, thank you for uh, to Will from Ten Cases and Parsons. Thanks. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks, Russell. Bye. 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 Bye.